Hey, being Dad's, Dad's Day, uh, I thought it wouldn't be, you know, a full Father's Day if we didn't share a dad joke. How many of you, how many of you want to hear a dad joke? Yeah, you want to hear a dad joke? Okay. Okay, here, here we go. So why do dads take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing in case they get a hole in one? Right? Come on. Come on. It's not bad. It's not bad. Right? For a dad joke. All right. All right. Well, hey, I want to thank all you, all you guys for being here today and all you guys that are, that are with us online. I, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled and honored that you spend Father's Day with us, um, and, and I'm grateful to have you here. And I really want to talk, you know, one time a year we really get to, get to talk directly to you, and uh, a lot of what I say is going to apply to everybody, but um, there's, some, there's some special thoughts for you in this message this morning. If you say the word Father... Uh, anywhere, it strikes a nerve. It might be a good nerve, it might be a bad nerve, it might be mixed. But the word father, the concept of father, touches something deep inside of each one of us. And perhaps uh, in this time, more than ever, it's, it's harder or more confusing to, de- to define what manhood actually means. Is it, being, is it being tough? Is it being tender? to people that we love? Is it being a protector? Is it being a provider? You know, what does it really mean to be a man? What does it really mean to be to have manhood? And uh, I think so many times, especially when it comes to the area of spirituality, of our faith, uh, some of us guys feel inadequate or un- unequipped or unprepared or untrained and you know, sometimes we feel that way in a very difficult and confusing world. We may even question, what does it mean to be a man? How do I know, you know, that I've been equipped or trained to be, to be a man and do everything I'm supposed to do? And sometimes out of that inadequacy, we outsource spiritual things to our pastors or to our wives or, you know, to our moms or to, to somebody else because we just don't feel adequate enough to handle it. You know, we think things like, I don't know about all that spiritual stuff, but I know somebody's got to put food on the table. And that's what I'm going to do. And we, we, do, we do what we know to how to do, and we just hope for the best. But there's a better way. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with those thoughts and feelings because um, my mom was the spiritual leader in our family. Uh, my dad wasn't a Christian, isn't a Christian. And so I, I grew up with no... Uh, male spiritual role model. Um, And so it was often confusing for me to try to decide which path am I going to take. And if I were going to be a a Christian man or a spiritual man, how do I get there? It just felt like there were a lot of things that I was supposed to know that I didn't know and I didn't know how to know. (laughs) I didn't know where to get them. There's no, there's no certification, you know, there's no, there's no license that you get, sign up for, take a test and go, okay, you're spiritual, you know, you're a spiritual man now. And so I understand those feelings, I understand how that works, but I do want to encourage every guy, every guy watching and listening, if I, I learned a lot of it, I'm still learning, but if I learned it, you can learn it. It doesn't matter who your dad was or who your mom was or how you were raised or what you were taught or what you weren't taught. I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't matter and that it doesn't impact you. It does impact you. But it doesn't hinder what God can do in your life today. 
you can learn it. And you can grow and you can move and you can become. Every male was created by God to be a spiritual person. And so your designer designed you that way, and you have the capacity and you have the potential now. It's not going to look like maybe your wife. It's not going to look like your kids. It's not going to look like other people. It's not going to sound like. It's going to look like you, and it's going to sound like you. And you're going to do it the way that you do it in your personality. But you absolutely can be a spiritual person. And so that brings us to um, Psalm 128. We're in this series called Everyday Prayer and we've been looking at different uh, psalms this summer. And today we're at Psalm 128, and I just want to read, it's six verses. I just want to read it for us today, and then we'll go back and look at it. Verse 1, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor, blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. So Psalm 28 is really a, a chapter about what a spiritual life looks like or to use the language from Psalm 28, what a blessed life looks like. Now, um, I, I spent a lot of time studying this chapter because it's not easily translatable into our thinking. We are Western thinkers, and this chapter uh, comes from a, all of Psalms come from an Eastern mentality. So we have a pretty big gap there. Also, some of the words from Hebrew, which is what Psalm is written in, don't necessarily easily translate into English. And so how you might read, for example, the word prosperity, you go, great, you know, I just obey God and I'm rich. Isn't that how that works? That is not what that means. <laughs> Some of you have tried it. You already know. That's not what that means. So um, I'm going to do my best this morning to try to help us understand um, the heart of this chapter and, and what it means to be spiritual and, and maybe even what it means to be a blessed man. So here's the first thought. A blessed life is about walking the blessed path. Now there are two words in this verse um, that kind of jump off the page that don't mean how they sound, okay? The first one is the word fear, and Pastor Mark did such a great job last week talking about the fear of the Lord. Um, and, and explain to us that it doesn't mean like, you know, being afraid of God's judgment. That's not what that means. If you read it that way, it's blessed are all who are afraid of God's judgment so they'll walk in obedience, you know, because I don't want to get struck by lightning. But that's not what it means. It, it, uh, maybe a better way to think about the word fear is awe. Blessed are those who walk in the awe of the Lord. Who are, uh, so in other words, we're not... Uh, um, the person that's blessed is not the one that obeys God for fear that he will, he will judge him or curse him or punish him. But blessed is the person who walks in awe of God and the awe is because we see God as the only source of a full life. And we're in awe of what God can do in a life. 
God can take the most broken person and make somebody incredible. I, I read an article yesterday about a guy who was one of the leading pornography stars, I guess in the world or wherever, and he got saved, got transformed, got discipled, got trained, and today he's a pastor. Does that not fill you with awe? How God can take someone who has a cavernous and empty soul and give them a full life? So it's not, I'm not walking in obedience to God because I'm afraid. I'm walking in obedience of God because I'm in awe of what he can do. I'm in awe of the kind of life that he can bring. So what's interesting about this um, verse is it's not even saying that God will, God will, if you walk in obedience, even in awe, that God will reward you with a blessed life. See, in this, in this verse, God's not even directly involved in your blessing. Now, now wait, he's indirectly involved, but not directly. So, so what God has done is blessed a path. He's blessed a way of life. From the beginning of time, God has sown into the DNA of creation a way of life that's blessed. And when you walk that way, you're blessed. But he's not like getting up off his throne because he's so impressed with how good you're doing, pointing his finger at you. I'm going to bless that one. That's not what this verse says. This verse says that God has blessed a way of life. And when you walk in it, you walk in a blessed life. So um, I had a counselor friend uh, years ago who used to, he had this phrase he would use, this saying that kind of captured an example of how we sometimes walk in unblessed ways or how we walk in a different order. So God has put things in order. There is um, night and day. There's morning and evening. There's winter and spring and, good Lord, there's summer. <laughs> you know, if you're in the south. And there are boundaries and there are things that you shouldn't cross and there are things that you should honor. And when you walk in God's when you walk within the order that God has made, you're living in a blessed way. And here's how he used to say it, just to kind of give you an example. He said, in, in modern America, we, we worship at work, we work at play, and we play at worship. And that's kind of not in the right order, if you can see that. Just leave it up there for a minute. So what does it look like to, what does it look like to worship at work? Man, it means that your career and your job and is more important than anything else that you can do in your life. Getting ahead and getting promoted. And I see people who make bad decisions for their family because it's better for their job. I, I remember when we were trying to buy our first house, we had a realtor that was trying to talk us into buying a house we really couldn't afford. And her, her encouragement was, um, why, why, don't, why, don't my, why don't my wife go get a job, extra job at McDonald's and make some extra money and, you know, stretch so we could really get that house? So what was being sold to us is this bigger house is what really makes your life important or meaningful or good and go do whatever you have to do. Go live a lifestyle that's out of order. I'm not against anybody working anywhere. That wasn't the point for us. But go live a lifestyle that's out of order so that you might have something God doesn't even want for you. And we, it was a hard decision because I'd, we'd never bought anything like that, and we had to figure it out. So, so you can worship at work. We work at play. 
I mean, like our, our, our two boys did sports, you know, a, a lot. And, and I would just flinch every time, and I hear this, I heard this a lot. I would hear a coach or a dad or somebody say, all right, come on, you know, get up and shake the dust off. These are the best days of your life. You know, get going. And I used to just cringe because I would think, what an idiotic thing to tell a kid. The, this is it? Chewing dirt, sweating out, in the, these are the best days of your life? You know what you tell a 14-year-old brain when you tell them these are the best? They go do all kind of crazy things because they think their life's going to end when they graduate. What a dumb thing to say. These are the best years of your life. It just all goes downhill from here? Ridiculous. With God, your life gets better and better and better. <laughs> These aren't the best years of your life, but that's what happens. That's what happens when you work at play. Do you remember when sports used to be fun? Some of you are old enough, you remember. Now it's a job. You gotta train off season and you gotta get ahead and you gotta get the latest gear and you gotta and this and the sports and extracurricular industry has become an absolute job. Max Licato, you may have heard that name, who's a great Christian author and pastor. He kind of got caught up in this, and I heard him tell the story how he was talking to his doctor, and his doctor was saying, Hey Max, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to find other ways, you know, to have a more balanced life. And he said, Well, what do you mean? And he said, you're going to have to find some time to have a hobby or to, you're just working all the time. And he said, well, what does that look like? Listen, and here's what his doctor told him. You have to find activities where there are no consequences. In other words, if you win or lose, pass or fail, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Because you can't live under the pressure of everything has got to succeed all the time. Everything's got to work all the time. That pressure will crush you. And the human soul was not made to live up under that pressure. And then, of course, we have this last one, play at worship. Play at worship. Sometimes I, I think we, we, you know, um, play <laughs> or, or we worship sometimes in a way that resembles how we ought to play. There are no consequences. I can live any lifestyle I want, and everything's going to be fine. We play with worship, right? We, we, we read the Bible, you know, sometimes, maybe, or never. We pray when things get really bad. We go to church when we have extra time and nothing else is really going on. We push ourselves beyond our natural limits. We... Um, we live and teach our children that the physical world is more important than the spiritual world. We, we, um, and in the middle of all of that, we claim to be blessed because we have a nice car or a nice vacation. In the middle of all that brokenness. And we play at worship. It's extracurricular. It's volunteer. It's leftover. And I, and I think this is not the order that God has given us to live in. So what happened if we, we flip this around? Let's just put it the right way and look at it. What if we worked at work, we played at play, and we worshiped at worship? What, what, what would that look like? Huh? 
What does it look like to work at work? Here's what it looks like. My identity is not my job title. I am a son or daughter of the living God. And from that relationship and overflow, I can be a good employee. I can be a good employer. But man, my identity's not here. When this is over, I'm going to heaven. I'm not retiring. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> it's not about that framework. What, a, what, what about um, play at play? When's the last time you laughed so hard you thought your gut was going to split? It wasn't at my dad joke, I can tell you that. But, but when's the last time you laughed so hard? When's, do you have any regular time in your life where you do something and there are no consequences? You know what that's called? Fun. It's called play. It's, you know why it's called recreation? Because that's where your emotions and mind get recreated. There's, there's a Sabbath principle inside of that. What about worship? What if we were to worship at worship? Do you prioritize your life in such a way that it, that it reveals that God is the single most important thing in the universe? Now, that's a tough question. If we're going to answer it honestly, that's a tough question for all of us to answer because it challenges us. I mean, you can, you can look the part today, but what about this afternoon or tonight or Monday? or you know, What about the normal life? I mean, that question really challenges us, and it's a tough question to answer. But if I were to give you one thing that you could do that would affect your worship more than anything else I know, living as if God is the center of the universe, here it is. Read the Bible. <laughs> Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Because here's what the Bible is. In the Bible, you find the wisdom of God. You find God's ways and God's thoughts and God's heart. And Jesus said in the New Testament, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That's what it looks like. to. So a blessed life is a life that's lived in the right order. It's not that God directly comes in and blesses you. He's already blessed a type, a type of life. You live that life, and you're going to see God's blessing in your life. Number two, a blessed life is about seeing all of life as sacred. Uh, us guys are so good, we, we tend to like to compartmentalize things, you know? This is my work life, this is my family life, this is my sports life, this is my your hobby life, this is my church life. We like to compartmentalize things, and we don't like nothing touching each other. You know, it's separated in little squares. And one of those major divisions is we've divided things into two categories, either secular or sacred. So prayer would be sacred, like eating lunch would be secular. Going to church would be sacred. Going to work would be secular. And we've created this artificial, these categories that don't exist in Scripture. And so living a blessed life is seeing that all of life is sacred. That's a, that's, a, um, that's a disconnected and a fractured life. Look at verse 2 and 3 again. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. So what are we learning about 
a spiritual life. What are we learning about a blessed life? Here's what we're learning. Eating and work are sacred. Watch. Marriage and sex are sacred. Parenting and family are sacred. God cares about and is present in every part of our life. So, Dad, what if when you went to eat a meal, you were the one to say, hey, before we eat, why don't we, why don't we say a prayer? And it could be something very simple, about 20 to 30 seconds. All it's got to be sincere. And you know what you're saying when you do that? Eating is sacred. What you're saying is, we're not doing this alone. God is with us right here. See, you're connecting to a reality that all of life is sacred. And, and also, what about, um, what about this idea of work? Like, like, what if on your way to work in the morning, you were to take 30 to 60 seconds and say, you know, God, today I work first for you and then secondly for my boss. And God, I ask you today that you'd help me to work in a way that honors you. Now, what are you saying? Work is sacred. I'm not doing this alone. Maybe you're the boss. So what do you do? You pray on your way to work. Lord, today I acknowledge that I'm not the highest boss. You're the highest boss. And I work for you and help me to serve my employees and customers today in a way that honors you. And what are you saying? You're saying that God, that that's a sacred move and God's involved in all of that. What, what about marriage? What if we were to put as much effort into our marriages as we did into social media or sports? I mean, we can go over how many hours the average person spends on their smartphone. What about parenting? What if we were to say, okay, God, these children that I have that are mine, they're not really mine. We always say this in baby dedication, it's just the next 18 years we, we struggle to remember it. These aren't my kids, Lord, these are your kids, and you gave them to me as a gift and for a time, and what you, the calling that you put on my life is to train them to know you. But what do, we, what do we oftentimes do? We train them to know sports statistics, and we train them to know the family business, and we train them to know investing, and we train them to know about shopping, and we train them to know. You are every parent in this room and online, you are presently discipling your children for something. The question is what? I, I, there's a very simple answer. Whatever the most important thing in your life is, it's what you will pass down to them. It's in the water. It's in the air. It's in your breath. It's in the way you walk. It's when you get up. It's when you lie down. It's the way you live your life. They will be much more likely to adopt the way you live your life than anything you tell them. So, what if you were to turn that around and go, now God, these children are a gift from you. This is sacred. Parenting is sacred. Help me, God, because I cannot, you know I cannot do this by myself. Help me teach them about you, because I don't know how to do it by myself. So this idea of secular and sacred, one of the ways that we tried to um, work on this in our family and not have that line, uh, when our boys were younger, sometimes you know I'd be studying, 
And I didn't want to be one of those pastors who like, I'm in the office doing God's work. You know, you goofy kids, get out of here. You know, you're silly. You know, this is sacred. You're just kids. You're just goofy kids. You're secular or whatever. So what I would do is when I'm studying, you know, they'd knock on the door. Hey, what's going on? You know, it'd be whatever, whatever it was. I don't remember, whatever. Okay, you know, come in, let's talk. Okay, I'm, I heard you. We talked. I'm studying, you know. Then after about the sixth time, I'd be like, okay. Like, like I really, now you know why I had some bad sermons, you know. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> listen. Like I, but I didn't want to be one of those pastor parents that made my kids feel like they couldn't be part of my life because I was a pastor. I want them to be able to have access and come in. And I don't even know, you know, if that's the best way to do it or not. It's just the way that I did it. Another thing that we did when our kids were young is, um, for you parents, the little ones, we took a little picture Bible. Children learn the Bible through stories first, and then they learn the rest. And so we took a little picture Bible, and we'd read it every night before they'd go to bed. And it's a little short little thing, you know. And some nights we're so tired, we can't even hardly hold our head up, and we're trying to read this you know, thing. And we just read through it and then read through it again and then read through it again and read through it again and add layers to those stories. Something you could do if you're a parent of a teenager, grab a proverb and just talk about it on the way to school in the morning when you're dropping them off. Hey, proverbs, whatever says, what do you think about that? Uh, at dinner, a great time, maybe when you gather for dinner, whenever you do it once a week or whatever, sit at the table and take five minutes and say, hey, let me tell you a verse I read in my... Do- Can I tell you the power of a dad who will talk about Scripture to his kids? You just... It doesn't even matter what the content of the conversation is. The fact that you had it is going gonna, is gonna to make a gigantic impact. My dad reads the Bible? I didn't know that. You know, he, He's talking at the dinner table about the Bible? I didn't know that. that. And this is true for moms and dads both, but uh, it's Father's Day, so we'll talk that way. All of life is sacred. What that means is, is that things outside the church, watch, are just as spiritual as things inside the church. So Monday to Saturday is just as spiritual as Sunday. And if you'll live that way, man, it, you're blessed. Right? That's what it says. That's a bless- What's not a blessing is the only spiritual contact you have each week is on Sunday for an hour. That's not a blessed life. All right, last one, number three. A blessed life's about receiving gifts, not earning rewards. Okay. We cannot translate, we cannot understand this chapter to say, if you obey God, you're blessed, and if you, d- do, if you disobey God, you're not blessed. Because if you remember what all the verses said, if you take that literally, then what you would say are parents who can have children obeyed God and are blessed, and parents who can't have kids somewhere, we don't know, in the darkness, disobeyed God and can't have kids. And that's not true. If you followed this chapter literally, you would say, well, married people obeyed God, and that's how they got married, and they're blessed, and single people aren't married, and they disobeyed God somewhere they're not. We, we can't take that. Jesus blew that kind of thinking up in the New Testament. So it's not about earning a reward. We want a guaranteed outcome with God, but with God, there's no contracts, there's no agreements, there's no formulas, but there is a path of blessing. There is a path of wisdom that you can walk. And it's not a guaranteed outcome that everything's going to be perfect. 
If you were to scroll social media for about an hour, you would be tempted to think that what true blessings really are are dream homes and cars and vacations and pictures with famous people and my YouTube channel that blew up. And I'm, I'm concerned that this modern diet of the spectacular has numbed us to what true blessings are. We take things for granted like food. You know why? We've never been hungry. But you know there are parts of the world today where people are hungry. There are pockets in our country where people are hungry. We, we take for granted things like the ability to have kids, but there are some people that can't have kids. And we just assume that they're going to grow up to adulthood. Do you know in many parts of the world today and for most of human history, you know why families were large? Because everybody assumed not all your children were going to survive to adulthood. But we've lived in this run of prosperity that these, that these blessings have become rights and expectations. And we're not even grateful for them anymore. We don't even see them anymore. We just expect them. And then when they don't arrive, then we're wounded, then we're frustrated, then we're upset, and then we're mad. This chapter is not teaching us that life is about earning a reward from God. It's about recognizing gifts. Those gifts might look like a good meal, a good marriage, a healthy family. Children who rise to adulthood and have children. That would, be, that would be a blessing. Walk in God's ways and you're going to see that blessing. Four days ago, Thursday night, we were able to go out with our whole family and have dinner. Twelve of us. Extended family and all that. And my wife, who, if you know our story, she's got a terrible disease. She's in a nursing home. I got to check her out. And I rolled her up in, in a wheelchair there at the table. She can't even feed herself. I fed her her birthday dinner. But in the middle of that dinner, I looked down at the other end of the table, and there were my two son, our two sons and their three cousins, and they were laughing so hard they couldn't even breathe. Just laughing. I don't even know what they were laughing I still don't know what they were laughing about. I hope it's not me. I don't know what they were laughing about. They are laughing about something. And just this, just this wave. Just this wave of joy came over me. I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. I don't know what next year's going to look like. I know some things that have happened in the past are bad and they hurt, but man, this moment is good and I'm blessed. <laughs> and it was so good. That moment was good. So I said to you at the beginning of this that there were two words. I talked so long you probably forgot the second, that there was another one. The first word in chapter 1 that's kind of hard to understand is fear. Blessed are all who fear. But the other one is the word blessed. All right, it's not prosperity. It's not power. It's not wealth. It's not success. Do you know what another translation of that word blessed is? Content. 
content or happy. Content are all who are in awe of the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. Man, we live in a time where there is not much contentment. People are losing their mind because we are, we are not walking the way that God has blessed. And I'm telling you, that world's going to catch up with you and eat you up. Not throwing fear out there. I'm just telling you, there's a blessed life and there's a blessed order. And when you walk in it, man, you find contentment. As I sat at that table and looked at that little moment, it's like time stopped and I went, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what I feel. I feel content. Because although the future is not great and the past hasn't been good in some ways, man, this is good. <laughs> this is good and I'm content. Would you stand with me this morning?